the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 160 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend with us. We are on Twitter. I'm at Justin Hughes 365. Andrew is at AMCQ82. And our Baseball 365 official podcast is at Baseball 365 Pod. And it is that time of the year when we're near Christmas. That usually means the Rotomasters Draft and Hold League is just completed. and uh, Our draft, I should say. And that means our good buddy Chris Winder, who runs this league every year, he's gonna he joins us and we have discussions about our teams in the draft as well as some other teams just just our takeaways from it all i always look forward to this show and i'm guessing we'll probably go long and that this will end up split into two episodes and hope you all enjoy it all right let's get andrew and chris on first off andrew as always good to have you on but chris thanks for um welcome man good good to hear from yeah you. thanks for having me it's been two yeah, years thanks for having me, like you say yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been two years, and I was just looking. It's year number five of this league, and it's awesome. i always looking forward to this coming on with you guys. It's one of my favorite things to do So pretty for much baseball season. Did, have we had you, like, of course, last year we were not recording a podcast, so it wasn't happening, but, like, so the first one was in, what does that make, 2019? 2020? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I was looking back, so it was 20, yeah, I guess 19 was the first year, maybe 2020. Because in the shortened season, so 20. yeah, so this is year number five. So 2020, we started. Then we've probably had you on for every one of them during the podcast because 2019, we started in like February of 2019. So that one we wouldn't have it, we wouldn't have done. Well, I guess no. If yeah, never mind. At the end of the 2019, well, going into ah, I'm confusing myself. I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> All right. Um. I got. I was thinking of a good, trying to think of an opening question, and you know we are getting really close to Christmas, and I decided I wanted to ask you guys, what are some of your guys' like current or childhood Christmas traditions that you've had, either current or over the years? Uh, Chris, why don't you go first? Yeah. Um, so uh, Christmas tradition, it was actually a lot of memories, childhood memories over at my great grandparents' house. Um, my family played a lot of poker. Uh, like Christmas Eve, so really? it was it was a late night. Yeah, my kids, us, us uh, grandchildren were just like hanging out on the couch for like one, two in the morning. Um, I actually, my great grandfather got in a little car accident after Christmas Eve, driving back from another house or something like that. And yeah, it's been it's, it was crazy. Poker nights would go long, and then when I got a little older, I would be able to be sit in the game and lose a lot of money, and you get everyone a <laughs> little angry, little a little too much to drink, and it, it got a little crazy times. Um, you know, you get that one uncle always like knows how to play the games, and he's like, "Why is this? Why is this one cousin of mine trying to bet when she shouldn't bet? Like trying to play by the rules? It's like it's Christmas. No one's playing by the rules anymore, so we're just playing." <laughs> and then currently, with my kids and my wife, uh, buys like ornaments for them like every year, so they open like a brand new ornament on Christmas morning, which they like and they put on the tree. So that's a good one. That is a great one. I love that too. Yeah. So when you guys were playing poker, was that Texas Hold'em or just anything? Oh my gosh, they knew like every game. So hold him to start, and then like my uncle would start making up these random games that he knew the rules of. And I was like, what are we playing? And we always end with the laughing game. And it was laughing because it was ridiculous. Pretty much, you're trying to like 
you move the card around and you're trying not to be stuck with the lowest card and you start with a couple bucks in front of you and whoever has the lowest card has to put the whatever dollar in front of them um it's a, it's a crazy game it gets in the pockets huge because you have like eight it gets like 50 60 bucks or something like that so it's it's yeah a family game in quotes let's put it that way my family never did anything cool like that andrew did yours no, I'm like, man, my answers are going to be let down. Um, don't worry. You're <laughs> Sounds not Sounds exciting. <laughs> so what were yours? Um, the main things that I thought of were driving around to see lights mm. uh, just anytime during the Christmas season and waking up as early as possible on Christmas morning. Do you remember what that was like you ever woke up as a kid? Oh, man, I think they kind of they kind of cut us at a certain time. Like I think it had to be at least five or something, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, um, that's what I always think of when I, when I was a kid. I I remember once waking up at two 50 and getting up and my mom's like, yeah, Oh, I was up. Yeah. I was up (laughs) earlier, but there was a certain point where they're like, can't, can't get up. No, before this time, we're not going down there. And like, okay. Yep. Those are good. So it was like count, counting the minutes, stuff like that. <laughs> well, my mom always made it special for Christmas morning and all that stuff. But I mean, I don't know if I've got any big traditions from that. Um, when I think of Christmas, I think of actually, you know, I did just get divorced, but I'll still be spending some time over there at my ex-wife's house on Christmas morning. And she always made wassail and a French toast casserole for the last like five, 10 years. And geez, those things I just absolutely love on Christmas. Like I'm always going to want to have wassail on Christmas for the rest of my life. Cause that stuff's great. Do you guys like wassail? Do you know what it is? Nope. 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 No uh, clue what you're talking about. Wow. No. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to send yeah, you guys the recipes and you guys need to tell somebody to make it and just thank me. It's a Chris. It's like a cider drink, except it's better. It's, it just tastes like Christmas when you drink that stuff. It's awesome. And then a French toast casserole is just basically like French toast, except thrown into a casserole thing that's just absolutely incredible. It's already got like syrup in it to where it gets into the bread while it's in baking. There's eggs in there. Oh, it's so good. So that's what I think of. Okay. um, Before we get into talking about this draft, two big things happened this week that I think we have to talk about. And the big one, Andrew, you know, you and I were just talking about the winter meetings last week and we were like, what the heck happened with Otani? And well, the next day, Otani officially was announced that he's signing with the Dodgers shock value as you're just hearing it at first, because it's 10 years and $700 million that he's going to get paid. Um, That said, each year it's 2 million is paid during the year and then for the 10 each of the 10 years and then a 68 million each year after the contract ends i guess that turns into 46 million per year towards the cba with however i don't i don't even want to try to figure out how that works but that's the way it works on top of that uh, i think let's see we're recording on friday i don't remember if that was uh, yesterday or the day before it doesn't really matter tyler glass now was traded along with manny margot to the dodgers for pitchers Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca. Chris, I want to start with you. You are a Giants fan. Let's talk about this first. As a fan of another team in the NL West, like 
This isn't me talking fantasy. Just this is as a Giants fan. How do you react to this stuff? Well, I we all knew he was going to be a Dodger. Like I knew. I know there was hope the day before with the rumors came out. There's a Blue Jay. Really, it was just anybody but the Dodgers. That was my hope. I knew it was going to be the Dodgers all along. Um, when I first heard about it with the two million, the deferred money, I was like, "What is going on?" I was a little like taken aback at first, been like, oh, "Some of the Dodgers can just sign whoever they want. Only two million is going to the luxury tax." When I found out it was forty six, I'm like, "Okay, that makes sense. It makes me feel a little bit better." But yeah, it's the Dodgers, so yeah, I'm not surprised by it. The Giants made a little rumor that oh, Farhan said we're to match it. He wanted to be the Dodgers. He wanted to be in LA. Um, and he wants to play for the Dodgers. You really can't blame him. That organization is top-notch. And as a Giants fan, you just hope that it's anybody but the Dodgers that wins the World Series. Yeah. It's it's got to be gut-wrenching, but at least you were, like you said, you were prepared for it. We had been talking the same here. It's like it just feels like it's he's going to go there. But, Andrew, you were at least getting some hope, especially I think Vegas odds had the Cubs second. Like when he signed, what was your – like? reaction as a Cubs fan or just you know just as a baseball fan uh I I never really had much hope as a Cubs fan I mean I it was in the back of my head but I never it was one of those things I never really truly believed it was going to happen I just kind of hoped it would and knew that they were one of the teams mentioned but it's like a believe it when I see it type of thing mostly um I know I made my jokes and stuff but <laughs> yeah I wasn't uh I wasn't too surprised. I mean, I was more surprised the way it kind of unfolded. Like it seemed like it was coming out that it was going to the Jays and then it was like just a rumor and like, what's going on, you know, all that. But um, yeah, ultimately, I mean, if you would have asked me every day up until the day that they said Jays, I would have Dodgers would have been the team that I thought was the favorite, you know, so I don't feel like you could be too shocked about it. Do you guys think that these backloaded deals, like they're the Dodgers aren't the first team to do it, but this does seem to be the most extreme circumstance we've seen. Like I know Max Scherzer's his deal with the Nationals was had a lot of deferred money, but like are these backloaded deals bad for baseball? Um, Andrew, I'll, let you, I'll ask you that first. What are your thoughts? Uh, I I don't really like them. I mean. I'm not going to pretend like I know all the ins and outs of how all of it works because I there's probably things that I miss here and there. I'm not the best with that stuff, but just generally speaking, I, I'm not a big fan of them. I, I do think, though, that most – like I don't think that this is necessarily going to be like a standard or a this is what's going to happen now going forward just because Otani did it. Because Otani's one of the few players that could probably get away with just pushing all of the money back, you know, because of endorsements and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, um, generally, though, no, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I, I expect that maybe because of this, in the next CBA, there will be some kind of regulation on what they do. But I don't know. I mean, we've got a little bit of ways to go for that. So we'll see. I'm just now pulling it up. Uh, the Dodgers currently, well, do you remember when we did the NL West, their payroll was $134 million. It's now at $201 million. So with that in the glass now, 
move. They've definitely shot that up. What about you, Chris, um, in terms of just these backloaded deals? Do you have many, much of an opinion on it? Well, I'm not surprised. Like you have people on, you know, in these organizations that work on these things all the time. Um, so you kind of have, it's like, they know the rules and these are the rules in baseball. You know, it's a sport I played growing up. You try to bend the rules as much as you can. Like I remember playing baseball and my high school coach was like, Oh, this is how you balk to try to get away with it. So you kind of push those limits, right? I'm a lefty pitcher. I'm going to push that 90 degree to 45 as much as I can to, you know, try to get like 48, 50, see what I can be called. When you're a pitcher, you're trying to nibble, get that outside corner. So they're playing within the rules. And, you know, I think what the what kind of took, uh, I think, fans aback was just seeing that $2 million price tag. If they kind of said, okay, 46, if people knew that up front rather than these, that $2 million was getting paid for annually, I think fans would be like, okay, that make that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make sense. And yeah. the 46 is actually the real number. Yeah. You know, when I see things like Otani at two million, or even the forty-six, because I, I th- most people were expecting more than that. But I mean, I again, that's not too far off. Like I think of it as like you're playing in an auction keeper league, and you get this guy, you got this keeper for a buck. Like you got Acuna as a keeper for a buck. And I kind of think of that when I think of Otani being on the Dodgers and you know being at 40, 46 million, or especially whenever we were talking about it at two, thinking it was 2 million. I was like, this feels like a dollar Ronald Acuna. You're getting that. And then just gives you such an advantage. But you know, I, I, I'm with you guys. I don't know. Like it's within the rules. Nothing, no, nothing against the Dodgers for it. But I do think that that needs to change because it's just going to cause the teams like, I just think the gap's going to get a little bigger. And again, I I agree with, but I agree with you, Andrew. Not many are going to do it, but I don't know. I just I don't want to see. Yeah, that. I mean they're already they're already they're already one of the best teams in baseball, mm-hmm. you know, or if not the best. And now they've added Otani. They've added Glass now, and they're probably not anywhere near done. I mean, who knows? But. Yeah, it's like it's kind of scary to think what this roster could be in the next one to two years. Yeah, pretty ridiculous. Yeah, but we we, we like fo- we like football as well, and like football, they constantly restructure deals. So I kind of think this is kind of like restructuring. I know it's not the same idea, but you know, you always hear these teams are oh they're up against the cap, and then all of a sudden they find money when they want to sign this other free agent. Yep. So I just think these teams are just going to find ways to work the system, and the system right now is a CBT. Um, are they going to go to a hard cap? Probably not. No, um, but I think this is, yeah. So this is the way that the Dodgers can get away with this and sign whoever they want. All right. So moving this over to the fantasy end, you know, Tawny and glass now just moved to the Dodgers. Do, for you guys, do you think they move either one of them moves up in value or rankings being in the Dodgers organization? Um, what, Chris, I'll start with you. For this year, um, yeah, like right now, Otani went in our draft that we're going to talk about shortly at 2-3. I can see him moving up. You know, the utility spot, he's not going to pitch this year. Um, you know, he's it, it's a lot of people up that way. So I can see him being around there. Um, I don't know how much further up he would go just because the utility kind of – some people don't like to clog a utility spot. And he's he's come, he's injured, right? He's coming back and he got, his, he got surgery. Um, so we'll see – what that kind of looks like. Harper came back, but his power is kind of zapped in the mm-hmm. beginning of that year when he came back last year. Um, Glass now is the big one. He, yeah, and Glass now is the big one. He's going to move up because this is the Dodgers. 
I know the Rays are good, but it's not the Dodgers. I, mean, I think just, you know, they're both great organizations pitching-wise, but I think people, I think just the Dodgers without lineup, I think people are going to be like, oh, wins, wins, wins. And I just find him moving up the draft board. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, I think they're both going to move up a little bit. Or Otani a little bit. I mean, there's not a ton of margin there because it's high in the draft already anyways. Um, I think he's probably going to be come March like a late first round pick, mid to late. Um, so, yeah, I think he'll move up a little bit. And Glass now, yeah, I think he's going to move up too. Um, believe he's going as the ninth starting pitcher off the board. And I could see him jumping a couple guys, maybe even more. I mean, it, it's it's hard to say because the upside with Glass now is so obscene that it's just kind of like how aggressive does somebody want to be on him? We all know that the issue is the innings pitched, but there's like literally no other issue. So, and that is a big one. And I, I'm not saying I would draft him at this increased price or any of that. I'm just kind of talking where he's going to go, but um, I do get it because I think his upside is pretty much the best pitcher in baseball. So, so I think he jumps, I, right. I think he'll move up for sure. Yeah, I think he'll be somewhere in like that. SP five to seven range with some people taking him three to five, maybe. What were you going to say there, Chris? Well, I'm looking at it now. And NBC has been 31 draft champions uh, drafts. And it's like, he moves a, for me, he moves above Kirby gallon. It's like Gosman Castillo range. I think, does he get past those guys? Um, is I the question. Think I think so. people are going to ask themselves. You would think so? I don't yeah. think so. Actually, I don't think so, don't, just because I don't think the innings are there. And most of those other guys, mm-hmm. I think, feel a lot like you would project them to be getting up higher in innings. But, yeah, I don't think there's many below that. I mean, like Kirby, right around Kirby, I think that's like, I think that's right around where he'll be. Like, well, I guess right now he's 45. Man, I... I love Kirby. I think Glasnow is definitely going ahead of him. I agree. Like, yeah, I agree def- there. Definitely. Like, not even a... I do agree there. I think he goes above Kirby, but I don't know if he's topping anybody above him. Maybe I'm wrong. It's it's Kirby and Gallon for me. He yeah. moves up above Gosman and Castillo. I kind of have hesitation just because the innings. Those guys can get 200 innings. Um, so I feel a little safer with those guys, personally. What about the Ryan Pepio being on the Rays? You know, they actually, I kind of think this might be a boost for his value just because I'm not certain he was going to be pitching in that rotation for the Dodgers beforehand. And now he moves to another organization that kind of needs, needs some arms. You know, they, the Rays have a rotation of Eflin, Savali, Zach Littell, um, Pepio and um, Shane Boz. So, I think that the, this is actually a good thing for him. Andrew, do you agree or disagree? Uh, I think it's a pretty lateral move, really. I mean, I think he was just as... Like, I don't think he's any higher in the pecking order in Tampa than he was in L.A. And, 
I mean, both teams are great, so that's kind of a lateral move. AL East is pretty tough. Yes. Um, and the Rays have, like, Taj Bradley, and they're going to eventually have Springs and Rasmussen. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Rays actually have more depth to where Epio might have more guys breathing down his neck than he would have even on the Dodgers. So I just think, I think it's pretty lateral. I think it's pretty lateral overall. I don't think it's a major difference. The Dodgers at their current system, like a week ago, I agree, but I just felt like they were going to be bringing people in and those guys were at risk of getting knocked out. That was my thought. Um, Chris, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I hear both sides. Like I agree with kind of what you're saying, Justin, that like the Rays probably going to use them as a starter while I can see the Dodgers kind of like, manipulating some things and like you said bringing some starters in um both of them were kind of pitching thirsty they didn't have a lot of pitching like depth but we figured the dodgers were going to bring more arms in while mm-hmm. the rays were kind of going to be stagnant with what they're doing like this is probably the, one of the bigger moves that they do um getting pepio and deluca so yeah i think he moves up a little bit just because another good organization and i think the the start this the spot is more secure i think with the rays Okay, um, I think that's all I had. So I guess it's time to have a discussion about this Rotomasters draft and hold. So Andrew is going to be hosting it from here. I don't even know if I said that in the open, but he's going to be the one coordinating this discussion. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Andrew, and take it away. All right. So, yeah, kind of how we'll do this is I'll kind of be going back and forth between you two and um, – kind of asking the questions. I'll obviously chime in from time to time with stuff that I did or thoughts that I have, but most of it will be about Justin and Chris's team. Uh, Before we get into it, I'll have Chris kind of go over, just give everybody like an overview of like the type of league it is, um, settings, you know, just kind of the general format of the league that we're about to be talking about. Yeah, um, again, it's a standard, so 5x5, five five, meaning standard batting average and saves. Um, draft and hold, meaning that you draft 50 rounds. There's no waiver pickups, um, and it's a weekly lineup for both hitters and pitchers, so we set our lineup once a week. Um, that's pretty much it. I don't know if you guys want to chime in. We always, we always draft the Monday after Thanksgiving, and like I mentioned earlier, this is like our fifth year running of this league something we want to kind of want to do to pass the time with the group that we have in our dynasty league. And we added some other people to fill the spots there. So it's, it's a good group. We usually finish within two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, weekly, right. You didn't say, did you say that? Yeah. Yeah. Weekly. Weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. All right. I'll start with, uh, Justin on this. So Justin was picking four. There are 15 teams. Justin was picking fourth. And Chris was picking 12th. Um, so I'll start with Justin. Just on any, like, more talking going into the draft before you started drafting, any strategy you had or thoughts you had going into it, um, kind of what your plan was from the four spot. Okay, so the four spot you're meaning, I was like, are you meaning for the whole draft or for the first round? Yeah. Well, I... no, kind of, kind of for the whole, kind of both, really. I mean, yeah, just however you want to. 
attack it, I guess. Well, this is my first draft to go through, and I looked at this as this is going to be a learning experience. Even though we've been podcasting, it's different once you actually get in there and get in these draft rooms and do it yourself as compared to talking to you about your drafts. And it became pretty, like, it felt like that once I got into this. Um, I uh, didn't have, like, a clear, I'm going this way with my draft. It was more, let's see what gets to me. Um, We've talked a lot about, you know, I de- I, we've talked about a couple of things that I did implement. Like, I, we, you and I will get to it. I, I definitely wanted to get a couple catchers in the spot where a certain spot. We'll talk about that. I wanted to get some closers early just because those early closers are, um, you know, the ones that feel a little more locked in compared to waiting for the back half of the, you know, the 15 closers out that, like, the back 15 closers where it's a lot more up in the air. But... Yeah, I, I did have a queue set the night before for the top four picks also. So I think I even went on auto to where whoever it was, I, it was going to go to me. How about you, Chris? Any strategies going in from the 12th? Yeah, so so we did a little, um, we choose our draft, strategy, our draft slot according to like a KDS style. So I had the ninth selection of what ninth spot I want. It was interesting. The first eight people all went one through eight. So I was like, okay, I can pick anything from 9 through 15. So I went on to NFBC, and there was about 15 to 20 drafts on NFBC. I was like, okay, let me take a look at it. And I kind of noticed that, you know, there was a kind of, I felt like a drop-off in the beginning of round two. So I want to put myself in the back half of that first round to make sure you get two of those players before the drop-off. Um, I would change it, actually. We can talk, I would change it probably to pick 13 instead of pick 12. And we're going to talk about that based on my second round selection. So I just felt that was comfortable spot getting two of the top 18, 19 players that I felt comfortable there. That's kind of my strategy going into it. Cool. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. I didn't, I didn't realize that the first eight took the first eight and then you took 12. I, I wasn't even, I must not have been following after I got the, got the six. Yeah. Points. I was in charge. So I was like, I was in charge of them. So I had a little bit of time because I, yeah. So I was like, okay, let me take a moment and think about this for a second. Yeah. You know, I don't, I didn't really, this is my first draft again. And it was like 15 to 20 drafts on NFBC. So I'm like, okay, those guys are, they're setting a little bit of the ABP, at least for the first couple of rounds, you know, those first kind of, you can kind of see where those gaps were created there um, by based off um, the average, um, what are they called? The, 80, the ADP pretty much from there. You can see like, okay, you see a bigger drop from like 18 to like 22. So, yeah. So I was kind of looking at that spot there. What about uh, for this draft? Not so much. Well, yeah, for this draft, but just in general on these uh, type of drafts, 50 rounds, obviously you keep your whole team all year. What do you guys do for a hitter pitcher split? Like how many hitters, how many pitchers? Is it the same every time Do you change it based on your team that you're constructing? What's your general number there? Start with Justin. Uh, let's see. I think I finished this one with about 26, 24, if I recall, with 24 arms, 26 pitcher or hitters. I de- I even going in, I think I was going to try making it even more even just because my goal was to get some multi-position hitters and just hammer pitchers. And I, I 
I did take a lot of pictures. I don't even know what the actual standard that they say you should do is. I know it's close to even, but I think it's like, I, I, I don't know. Andrew, you would answer that better than me, what most of the people say out there. But if I recall right, and I think I was 26 and 24 on that. So I'm going to pull that up to try to get that. Oh, I'll give my input. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I'm usually between the 26 to 24. This chapter I was 25, 25. I'm, I'm, I wonder what you're, I want to know what you say, Andrew. I'm almost wondering, it's like, just go really strong pitching early and just load up on bats later. It's kind of interesting. I don't know. It's hard to find, um, but it is interesting. So I was 25, 25 in this draft going into it. I really don't think too much about it. I just figure I'm going to have about half and half. And then it, I kind of dictate where I'm going to be, you know, deeper at certain positions. I'm going to go three or four third basements because my starting third baseman's lighter. Am I going to go heavy on outfield because, you know, um, I didn't take a, a, I didn't pick an outfielder in the first couple of rounds. That kind of dictates those positions there. Um, in the past, I've been really, I've been really light in outfield. So I kind of hammered that a lot this year. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's, I think you brought up a good point there. What did I like with my pitchers and it, like one of my thought processes is what kind of pitchers did I take in terms of how many arms I'm going to get? If I actually feel like I took a lot of guys that I think are good for innings. And when I say good for innings, I mean, I like I didn't take in, a lot of injured guys or prospect pitchers that I think are going to, you know, not pitch much during the season. I might be more likely to take a few less of them. And uh, on the same note, if I feel like I've taken been a little more where I'm not cert, like I'm I've got a good feel that they're like project. I would project these guys to be going full seasons or close to most of the guys that I take. I might even be I might be less likely to take some arms. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I took. I, sorry. One last thing. I took 27 yeah. hitters, 23 pitchers. So it's actually a little further than I would have liked. I uh, I heard a smart guy a few years several years back say that the way he did it and he had had success in the draft and hold format was he would draft one full lineup so 14 and nine the first 23 rounds and then another full lineup the next 23 rounds so 14 yep. and nine again so there you're at 28 and 18 and then the last four rounds just do whatever he wanted um, so I actually used to do it that extreme, but I'm more in line with you guys now. I, what happened to me when I would do that is I ran out of pitchers, exactly. I just didn't have enough. And, um, I generally now my target is 26, 24, just like you said. Um, I'm not opposed to 27 and 23 or 25 25 i don't i don't think there's been too many times i've done 25 25 but usually i'm like 26 24 maybe 27 23 i like to come out of it with four guys eligible at every position mm -hmm. in of uh, the in, infield positions pretty much every time four catchers although i've done three once or twice and then just as many guys eligible at outfield as possible with that works within, you know, those numbers. So I like the eligibility pretty much all the time. You know, anytime I can grab that extra eligibility, granted some guys grab it in season. You do have to think about that. Like you don't always know who it's going to be. That's mm -hmm. the tricky part, but 
if you can think about like, oh, this guy might add eligibility, which I think there's some guys like that this year, um, that definitely can help in season two. So that's usually what I go with. But yeah, and our buddy Steve Trapani, he does um he drafts a lot of pitchers early. I'm looking at the board now. He dropped eight pitchers in the first ten rounds. He did 49 pitchers and one hitter, right? (laughs) No, no, yeah. Actually, no, that's the funny thing. So it's almost like I was saying he went 28 bats and 22 arms. Yep. Because he drafted so heavy on on arms early. I'm wondering, you know, if he can find enough hitting to balance that out and the pitchers stay healthy. It's kind of a strategy. He's been successful in drafting holes. So something I I might want to consider doing in a draft down the road to see just to go really heavy on arms. If it works out, you know, you never know how the draft will fall to you, but – I wouldn't push things, but it's an interesting idea and just hoping your arms are good enough that gets you through when you find some bats later. Andrew and I have talked about that before that Trapani seems to do pretty well in some of these drafts and holds with this wild, like this is, he has that out, out there strategy where in the first 10 rounds, 12 rounds, he's usually, he usually has his pitching rotation pretty much filled while most of us are only about, you know, halfway through and then he just pounds hitters. It's a completely different strategy than most of us are used to, but I definitely have paid him out in some draft and holds the last few years. Yep. All right, let's get into it. Um, As we go through, feel free to mention any, like, bad snipes that you had or specifically, you know, like right before you were about to pick, stuff like that. But um, we'll start with... The first round, and um, I'll, I'll read off the first couple rounds, and then we'll start moving a little quicker. But round one, in order, we had Ronald Acuna Jr. went one. Uh, pick two was Corbin Carroll. Then Julio Rodriguez. Justin took Bobby Witt Jr. at four. We had Mookie Betts. I took Kyle Tucker at six. Fernando Tatis Jr. at seven. Spencer Strider at eight. Garrett Cole at nine. Trey Turner at 10, Aaron Judge at 11, uh, Chris took Freddie Freeman at 12, we have Jose Ramirez at 13, Juan Soto at 14, and Jordan Alvarez at 15. Uh, we'll start with Justin, Bobby Wood Jr. at 4, easy decision, was there other guys you were considering, how do you how do you rank those top few guys? I had my cue set the night before, was on auto, Acuna clearly number one, Julio Rodriguez was two. I had it set up Carroll and Witt. Carroll and Witt are pretty close to even for me. I did have Carroll first and then Bobby Witt, but I was happy taking whoever with that. So, yeah, I mean, those were my four in my queue. I don't have an issue if someone wants to take somebody like a pitcher, Mookie Betts, behind, but that was my, like, four, and I didn't really have much hesitation on it. Cool. And Chris, uh, Freeman at 12. Was he your target? Was there others you were considering? What were you kind of thinking here as the first round unfolded? Yeah, when I looked at ADP, it looked like it was Cole or Judge. So I was thinking they were going to be in my head. I'm like, okay, I'll get Cole or Judge. And then um, they both went ahead. So I was like, okay, who's left? Who did, who got passed up on? And it was Freddie Freeman. And there's, um, it was kind of an ADP thing there. Um, I don't think I would change that going forward. Um, seemed like a solid pick. Um, Soto is one that I'm kind of intrigued by. I'm like now going to the Yankee Stadium. Do I push him above Freddie Freeman? Probably not, but uh, it's just something to consider there. But now that was a pretty easy pick there. Freddie's awesome. Andrew and I have talked about this, and he 
he was ahead of me on it in terms of, you know, the Freddie Freeman in the first round and like moving him up. And I'm definitely higher on Freddie Freeman right now than I was a month ago or even a couple, like a couple weeks ago. So I love that pick. Yeah. I think you, I think you can argue Freeman as high as like the back end of that top group. Really? Yep. I don't, I would, I think it like seven, I'm thinking about him. Yeah. So I think I'd take him, him over to these. Definitely love him at 12. Uh, anything surprise either one of you in round one? Like just, I know obviously these are the best of the best. There's not anything too outlandish, but anything that stood out to you or surprised you with any of these picks where they were taken or any of that? Start with, uh, we'll start with Chris. No, not really. I think just the only first round guy that I probably don't take in the first round is just Trey Turner. He did play better in the second half of last year. I just, I don't know the speed. I just, you don't need, I don't know. I don't think you need to push up speed as much um, getting those stolen bases. And so that's the one guy I would probably be pushing down towards the back half of the first round. Is he a first rounder? Of course he's probably up there. You know, I don't know how many guys go above him, but he's definitely more in the back half of that round for me personally. Yeah, I'm definitely taking Freddie Freeman over him. I'll say that for sure. Um, yeah, maybe the others. I, I I don't have a problem with Trey going where he is, and I don't know. I don't. I'm not even certain where I'd take him, but I don't think I'd push him back too far. But I would definitely take Freddie over him. Um, the only thing that really, what jumped, about you? Yeah. yeah, the only real comment I have, um, the eyebrow razor, but it's not even that big a one in the grand. Like we've talked about how after Acuna, take your guy. I would take like Carol going above Julio did surprise me a little bit. I wasn't expecting that, but again, they're all studs there. Yeah. Yeah. I think after Acuna, it's kind of like take whoever, but Carol, probably not my choice, but yeah, it's not like it's a bad pick or anything. All studs. So, um, into round two, obviously this will, be in the reverse order but we had to start round two we had bryce harper at 16 matt olson at 17 shohei otani at 18 chris took Corey seager at 19 austin riley at 20 rob luis robert at 21 zach gallon at 22 ellie de la cruz at 23 um oh did i Oh, I thought I messed that up. Sorry. Uh, Raphael Devers at 24. Zach Wheeler at 25. To me, uh, 26, Corbin Burns. 27, Ozzie Albies to Justin. 28, Kevin Gosman. 29, Luis Castillo. And at 30, back at the 2-3 turn, we've got Pete Alonzo. Um, start with Chris. Corey Seager. Uh, most he's cost in last few years, slam dunk, or was this your – who was your, like, other choice at this spot? I mean, if it was, was yeah. it Seager so or when I mentioned, I, No, it was what I was looking – like I mentioned, I was like, okay, I'm going to set my KDS for that pick two, for the second-round pick. So I just – I felt there was a drop-off after Olsen and Seager. I, the, the Riley, Ozzy Albies, um, that kind of Ellie De La Cruz, I didn't feel comfortable like them as that early second round pick. So I pushed myself to the back, the back of round one to do it over. Like I mentioned, I'll probably go back even one more pick to pick 13. Cause I, now I kind of feeling like either I have Matt Olson or Shohei Otani there and the drop off actually starts at Seager, even though he's great. He's, he's wonderful. But just that game, the game's played is a concern. 
He only played like 120 games last year. It's just something I it, it things pop up with that guy. So I just I do like the start of Freeman and Seager, but to do it over, if I do KDS again, I'd probably lean right now at pick 13 and start like a Soto Otani, a Soto Olsen, just a little bit more thump there. Um, so that's um, – but I, that was my strategy going, and I was going to start thinking I was going to get Seager was that drop-off spot. So I was happy with Seager. It's a good lineup, good team, um, and, and uh, World Series MVP. He's just a, he's a great floor play. Yeah, definitely. Definitely is. Um, Justin, Ozzy Albies, did you consider a pitcher here? Who else were you thinking about? Um, obviously, you know a long time since your first pick so stuff like that who who else if you if you didn't take albies who would you have taken here well i wanted zach wheeler who you took two picks before that's who i really wanted i think zach, zach wheeler is my starting pitcher three and and my own rankings like so i wanted him to get to me i was as it kept trickling back i'm like man i might get wheeler that'd be great then you took him so out but you know albies is awesome and i really don't like have anything negative to say outside of, you know, I do like some second baseman later on to where I, I wonder if I'd have taken Luis Castillo here. Like Lindor's a nut was another option, but after taking wit in the first, I wasn't going to do that. So maybe Luis Castillo, but I, I did not like the way the draft fell to me in the second round. And I'll talk a little more about it, but uh, like some other like things I notice when I look at the trends of this here in a little bit, but maybe Luis Castillo. Since you guys took a shortstop and a second baseman, I, I have a question for you here. So how much do you guys think this high in the draft, you know, we're talking first couple rounds, maybe even the third round. How much are you guys actively thinking about, what position you're filling in terms. And I mean that in the sense of like, you know, if you're taking a shortstop or you're taking a second baseman, you're probably a little bit less likely to take one in the upcoming rounds. Um, not that you can't, but uh, it obviously can affect targets later, stuff like that. Um, are you thinking at all about that? Or are you just taking the best player on the board? at this stage. Uh, Chris, start with you. Yeah, since this is my first draft, I really didn't know where the drop-offs kind of were. Um, so it's best player available for me. Later in the season, in the draft season, I kind of look at those, maybe maybe move a player up because I know outfield maybe is a little bit more shallow, um, maybe move up a third baseman because it's, you know, whatever the case may be. But in this sense, I'm really just taking the best player available and letting it figure out later. And then this is the draft that I realized, okay, first baseman is kind of deep or first baseman isn't that great or shortstop. You know, I want to get two before a drop off entails. So I kind of figured those things out. So I use this more as a guide right here for this is kind of my beginning draft to kind of where to see what those drop offs might be. Yeah, how about you, Justin? Yeah, I think Chris said it well in terms of this. This was an experiment to learn now on this. Like I I really wasn't thinking much about position early, except for the fact that when I took Bobby Witt, I did not want to take Lindor in the second round. I don't want to take two infielders at the same position in the first like couple rounds, because then you're kind of you're putting yourself in a position. But for the most part, I was just looking trying to get the best player, but still thinking about ahead in terms of like I didn't want to go too long without taking a pitcher, for example. Like I, 
I was starting to feel a little squeamish about that. Like, and I, I at different times. Andrew, I think more about how these players fit for me, I guess. And that's kind of how I address it later. Like taking Freeman and Seager kind of early. I mean, those are my first two picks. They're not going to hit 40 like a Matt Olson. So I'm like, okay, power is something I'm, I want to chase. Like, and keep my batting average kind of high. So I kind of think about how they, they pair together and what I'm going to be doing later in the draft, I guess. I should have been the, thinking yeah. beginning. more like that. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I should have thought more like that in this draft. And I I'll talk more about it in a bit. As the as draft season wears on, I definitely think – some people call it like drafting backwards. It's like you think about your targets later and who you're going to want to say like your eighth-round pick or your tenth-round pick. You know, Like you'll typically have a guy that you're looking at in that range. And I'm a lot of times – the top of the draft will be affected slightly for me. You know, there'll be guys that, but I liked what you said, Chris, about it's the first draft and you kind of have to feel that out because I feel that too, as a guy who does a lot of drafts in my first one, I'm just, I was kind of just doing the same thing, like taking the best player, figuring it out. And then as, as it kind of moves along, you, you'll learn those drop-offs and you know, where you want to avoid and all that. So yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's more, it's more later in the draft for me. Like I realize, like third baseman, it's like okay, these are the last five. I don't want to. I, this is it. So I highlighted those five players, and I want to make sure I get one. And then when they go boom, boom, I'm going to pull the trigger there. So in the first rounds, I really don't think too much about it. But maybe I need to start thinking about those ideas and like, okay, you know, um, if I get a first baseman around twelve, I really like, then maybe I don't need to take one early or something like that. But I think it really comes down to it kind of later in the draft there. Yeah. So we'll move on to – we'll do kind of the, the rounds and groups here. Um, rounds three through five, we'll kind of go through each one of your guys' picks. So Justin took Pablo Lopez, Camilo Duvall, and Rysel Iglesias. So one starter and then back-to-back closers. Uh, I got to say, one of my most shocked moments of the draft was when you took Pablo Lopez at 34. Oh really? Talk, I haven't even talk, talked to you about yeah, this yet. I was I was floored. I and not because it was a bad pick, but I've never I feel like I haven't heard you mention him. <laughs> and that's uh that's pretty aggressive. So what do you talk to me about it? He went to drive line and I like I think I was listening to the pitcher list guys talk about him and a uh, couple cu- pr- couple weeks before this and you know he went to drive line last offseason had a heck of a year. Added a sweeper, had a 366 ERA and 234 strikeouts. And he's back at driveline again this offseason. I love that he's continually looking to improve. And, you know, that 366 ERA had an expected ERA on Savant at three. So he was actually unlucky, too. So, yeah, I, I think I like Pablo this year. Yeah, he's he's definitely interesting. It's all usually been pretty much always been about health with him a lot. But. Mm-hmm. Definitely had a huge season. Uh, the back-to-back closers, was that kind of a plan going in, or what, did you just feel a drop-off coming, wanted to get two? What was kind of your mindset there? Uh, this is the first draft. I wanted to get two. I definitely wanted to. Um, we've talked a lot about you know early in drafts, early in the offseason. The closers behind aren't near as safe this far from opening day when so many things can change. You can go ask guys who took Cano a, couple, a month ago or Evan Phillips owners who – might have a setup guy to Josh Hader by the next couple weeks. I wanted to get him early, but that said, 
I took Doval and Iglesias in round four and five. And I look at the team right next to me, John Nguyen, and he drafted Alexis Diaz and Ryan Presley in rounds five and six. And I looked at that and I'm like, do I really see a big difference in our closures? And the answer is no, not really. So that's another spot where I could have waited a round or two to even go on a closer. But um, as I say that, you know, I do want to talk about, you know, something that stuck out as I was going back and looking at this draft. I'd rather have taken a bat or maybe a starting pitcher, you know, in one of those spots. But if you look at the board, like, do you guys have the draft board in front of you right now? Yeah, I do. Something that jumped out to me that I did not notice during the draft, five of the first, actually six of the first seven picks in the first round were outfielders, except for me. And then if you look at the next three rounds afterwards, you'll see that not a single outfielder was taken by anybody who had the picks in the one through eight slot in the draft. Not a single outfielder. And um, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I didn't notice it. And I was like, it, and that was the thing that bothers me is I'm looking at these and I'm like, maybe I'd have taken this guy or something, something different. And I'm like, I don't really like many of the picks that went right after me in terms of like, and not the players, like they're fine, but I'm like, would I have rather taken this guy instead? And I don't like, there aren't many of them where I'm like, yeah, I would have done it. Maybe I would have like, Andrew, you took Gunner in the third. Maybe I could have taken him if I had taken out like a, a Castillo in the second and moved to Gunner. But I, I don't know. I just did not like how the draft fell to me after taking Bobby Witt to where I might push Bobby Witt back another spot or two and rather prefer to get an outfielder because I don't like the way the outfielders fell. And then I like I felt behind the eight ball in my outfield. So, yeah, I think I might have taken Mookie at four. I don't know for sure, but it's definitely something that looking back, I'm 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 thinking about. Yeah, it could have just been the way the draft, this specific yes. draft fell. But yeah, I get I get that. Yeah. Um. So we'll go over to Chris. He went with uh, for his rounds three through five picks, Randy Rosarena in round three, Edwin Diaz in round four, and Grayson Rodriguez in round five. Uh, how did you feel about these picks? Like kind of what was your mindset at each spot? Um, and talk a little bit about Grayson. Yeah. So I kind of thought about planning out my first like 10 rounds. I thought that would give me pretty comfortable kind of my targets based on ADP and where things were kind of going to fall. Um, I was planning to go Kirby and Gilbert in rounds three and four. And that didn't really work out because uh, can knocked me out with Kirby. So I just, um, you know, fell with that. Um, speaking of Grayson Rodriguez, um, I just thought he was kind of like he could be a high end number two with some upside. Um, I felt I didn't want to get too far behind on pitching. Um, and he had that little triple A stint in the middle of the year in, ju- in July, end of July. When he came back, he had he pitched 76 innings, um, pretty much a strikeout inning at 73, at 2.58 ERA, and he was like five and two. So a good team. Um, he's going to get. Um, he pitched 160 innings last year and combined with the minors and the and the minors and the majors. So that number can you know 180, 200 even. And I just think that that guy he can be a high end, you know, a high end number two. And my plan was to piggyback and um, like we talked about pairing picks and to get another pitcher on that turn on six four. It didn't work out. I was thinking Yuri and or Yamamoto kind of pairing those guys together. I thought would be a two high end number twos. It didn't work out, but that's fine. Um, I think I'm happy with Grayson as my um, kind of my SP one, but more of the high end SP two pitcher. 
Yeah, yeah, Grayson's Grayson's one I feel like I'm not going to have too many shares of, but honestly, I think that he could be like a top five pitcher. It wouldn't surprise me that much. So. I agree on both ends there. I don't know if yeah. I'll have many redraft shares, but uh, yeah, the upside's there. There's a lot of upside, yeah, and obviously really good team and all that. I tell you what, when you took when you took Edwin Diaz, he was at the top of my queue. That 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 round round four, I had Diaz, and then the two picks that went right before me were Altuve and Glass. Now, and then I had Class. I ended up taking Class A, but yeah, my queue was just kind of getting ran through in that round for sure. So yeah, I think um, yeah, Diaz so- would have probably been my pick had it gotten to, had he gotten to me. Yeah, with closers, it's an interesting, you know, you kind of want one, especially in drafting old kind of early. And I know I've had conversations with other people. It's kind of like I've heard people talk about it. So you kind of take one when kind of things become flat. And I didn't really see a pick I liked there at like 4-4. So it kind of worked out. I'm like, okay, I could take a picture. I really don't like these. They're kind of like a lot of similar. I lost a target I was kind of looking for, kind of pairing. So Edwin Diaz just kind of made sense for me, knowing that I was so far away in round five. That they're, they're going to be a run was going to happen, and sure enough, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight. So I'm counting like ten closers went after it to Diaz. So yeah, you guys, I'm assuming both because we we all took closers in round four. Um, are you guys like team closers early then, or what do you what do you think? Like, do you have to get one early? Do you have to get two? Or like, what do you? What's your kind of mindset with closers? Start with Justin. Yeah, I got to get them early. I just do not like chase. Like, I I just personally do not like to be going into a draft with unknowns on closers. I or come out of a draft, or especially this time of year. Personally, I'll go on and bite the bullet and get the two, and just hope they stay healthy and you know they don't blow up. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I think I want one, like a stud top five closer early. If I don't get that, then I'm, I'm probably going to go two in the first 10 rounds. Um, I think it's kind of that pairing idea. Um, I don't mind finding some, especially drafting this early, finding a couple closers later, um, a couple targets that I kind of had in mind I didn't get, but it's okay. Um, usually I don't do too great in the saves category in this draft, but I'm okay with getting one kind of early or two if I don't get a top five closer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely aboard closers early. I, I think I'm good with, with one that I feel really good about. Um, I just kind of always look at it like this. I'm willing to pay the price to get a top closer and know I have that locked up. There's always throughout the draft going to be starters and hitters that I can find always. And there just comes a point pretty quick with closers that I don't want them. Like even I'm looking at guys even in round seven to nine that I feel like are very sketchy on they may or may not get saves. And that's a that's a high pick too, you know. Like I would just rather spend the fourth round pick, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, on a closer than spend – a ninth round pick on like a shakier one because I missed out on the top guys. That's just me. That's kind of how I feel about that. So um, we can move on to round six through 10. Uh, Chris took O'Neill Cruz in round six. 
Joe Musgrove round seven, Seiya Suzuki round eight, Tyro Estrada round nine, and Anthony Santander in round 10. Talk to me about these picks. Highlight maybe one or two you want to talk about your thinking throughout these rounds here. Yeah, in round six, since I missed my kind of, I was pairing with Grayson. O'Neill Cruz, um, I just find him, Oof, you know, versus da- Ellie. It's a, dagger, it's a debate that's Dagger to my heart. Yeah, O'Neal, I know it's one of your favorites as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that conversation is going to be Ellie versus O'Neill Cruz. They're going to be kind of uh, paired together, I think, pretty, throughout their careers, both tall shortstops. Probably both might move to the outfield down the road. Um, so what's the difference between those guys? It's going to be interesting. You know, Cruz in the better ballpark. Uh, um, Deli, Ellie Dela Cruz in the better ballpark. Um, and maybe a better team. So it's interesting. I just felt he was a good power speed option that I can find later. Um, I, I like Saya this year, guys. Um, I just think that ballpark. I think it's just a good team construction. I think he has a lot more power. He was hurt a lot in the beginning of last year. I think in round eight, he's a good, he's a good pick. I just kind of find myself going to get him a lot this year. Um, I remember last year, him and Brian Reynolds were kind of paired together. And Reynolds is going, he went in round six. I was able to get Say in round eight. I just find Say I might be a better value right now. Um, so those are kind of my two things. And Santander, I don't own that. I never like rostered him in a while. And I just felt, like I mentioned earlier, going Freddie and Seeger, I felt kind of behind in power. And I thought Santander had a chance to go, you know, 30 home runs pretty consistently. So I felt that was a good pick there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love Saya. I, I was all over him last year. I'm going back to the well this year. I think he can pretty much do everything. Um, not hurt you anywhere, stuff like that. So definitely like him. Uh, Justin in these rounds went with Josh Lowe in round six. Hassan Kim in round seven, Spencer Torkelson in round eight, Lane Thomas in round nine, and Cal Raleigh in round 10. Um, I'll also mention, just throw it in here, that went Francisco Alvarez in round 11. So catcher, catcher at 10 11. Uh, kind of t- talk to me about these picks. One or two you want to mention your thinking in these rounds and the catcher double up. I don't know if you've. I've picked up on this yet, but I just did not like love the way this team came together. As I look at it, when I finished, I'm like, this was a learning experience. And one thing that makes me cringe when I look at is a lot of my team. I did notice during this, during the draft is I bought a lot of guys coming off big years, like the, what felt like big steps up to where I don't, I don't know. I'll like Josh Lowe, Kim Lane Thomas, all three of those guys had huge seasons this last year. Kim, I like for the position flexibility. I'm not hoping for what he did last year, but if he can steal 20-plus bags, hit near the top of the Padres lineup, give me that position eligibility, I think he'll be solid. I do really like Torkelson. That's a guy who I do really dig the price this year. I, yeah, I I see I see him. I I just like him. I really like him a lot in terms of the power, the the you know counting stats. I I really like Torkelson. We've talked about it before, but I love the price on catchers in these rounds 9 through 11 range. I snagged two in Rally and Francisco Alvarez, and I do like them. But given how I feel like I'm weak in batting average with this team, and I know that's a fluky category, I do wonder if I should have gone after someone more like Wilson Contreras. Um, And I don't know. That's, that's my thing. Kind of like what Chris was just talking about when he took Freeman and Seager. He felt like he was weak in power. I took Bobby Witt in the first round. 
I, and as I go down this, I'm like, man, I got a lot of power and speed on this team, but I could have used a few more hitters, like guys that I feel have better hit tools to kind of help hold my batting average up, maybe get some like the runs and RBIs or that like on that that they produce that. I just feel like I could have, I should have gone a little more like that as compared to I feel like I got a lot of guys that have more swing and miss and just it's harder to project like you could go up and down my team and not see many guys that you'd project to hit over 270. Yeah, I I thought it was funny that we both doubled up on catchers in the exact same two rounds. <laughs> We've talked uh, about it, it a came, lot. Yeah, I I think that I'm going to be living in this range with catching this season. I definitely I think in most of my drafts, what's going to end up happening is I'm at least going to get one from this range and I'm either going to get an early one and my second one is going to be from this range, or I'm going to get one from this range and then maybe, um, maybe go later. But I love this range. Like all these guys pretty much from Yaner Diaz, uh, Sal Perez, Cal Raleigh, Francisco Alvarez, Wilson Contreras, Logan Ohapi, Moreno, um, even Bo Naylor. Yep. Pretty much all those guys. Like I would like to get one of them in pretty much all my drafts. I mean, oh, Sean Murphy too, which he goes a little bit higher. But um, yeah, so I went double up with uh, Sal Perez and Contreras and you went Cal Raleigh and Francisco Alvarez. It was funny because when I took Sal, I was really close with him and Cal Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking in my head, I'm going to take him on the way back. And then you took him and then you took Alvarez. <laughs> it just made me laugh because we were like on the exact same page there. I was I'm, like, yeah, I'm getting my catchers here. Same way. So bro. I thought in, it was funny. Yeah. In, in my current draft, I'm doing a set. I'm in my second draft right now. And yeah, I took Wilson Contreras in the 11th round. I didn't take a second one in this one, but I'm okay with that. But yeah, at least one out of this range. I think that's almost a must. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Any, um, how do you feel about catchers, Chris? What do you, I know you took one in the very next round, round 11, but what do you, you got any like strategy or early thoughts on how the catcher groups fall? Um, yeah, kind of like what you guys are saying as well. Um, I think looking back on this draft, I think I should have taken, you know, I said it was light and power. Um, what better way of feeling getting help? you're out in power than taking Sal Perez at a catcher position. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I think I would take out Santander and put Sal Perez there and then kind of like double up there. But I definitely wanted one Moreno. I got the last kind of, I got one in round 11, but um, yeah, I, I think this range is a good range. They're going to find a lot of people um, scooping them up here. Yeah. So you kind of get yeah. in these runs too. In these runs, you just have to be careful of these runs drafting in the back and the half. And, you know, a lot of these catchers just go, quick so you can't count on doubling up either because they can be gone really quick on you yeah there were yeah i've five five catchers taken between your 10th pick and whenever got back to you in the 11th yeah yeah i feel like the very top of the catcher group is maybe not quite as strong as it has been the last few years but this it's deeper for sure i feel like there's just so many more guys that are actually somewhat appealing. So, um, yeah, I definitely like this range. Any other thoughts on any picks or anybody's – anything that happened in these rounds? 
Yeah, I got a snipe, I guess. Not really a snipe. It's not, it's not, don't call it a snipe, I guess. Um, when you draft early like this, news breaks. Um, don't bleed a clock. Like, never be that guy. Don't like sit for a whole no. time waiting on news unless something big is going to happen. But I went to bed, um, and then with Jackson Cherry, I was about to sign. And I was like, dang, <laughs> oh, if I was like five minutes earlier. Um, so went to bed, woke up, the sleep clock, and then the team that kind of like, it was more like, true, he's going to sign this deal. So he went right before me. I was like, oh, I was so close. So it's like a pick happened, but I was never, you never sit and wait for news to happen. But, you know, you get lucky sometimes. So sure, going at 10-3, he'll probably go a lot earlier, obviously, you, now that he's signed. He's going to be up. Yeah. You would have taken him 10-4 because Andrew and I were talking about that last week in terms of like where we'd take him right now. You think you would have taken him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I would have taken what, That was, yeah, it was for sure 10-4. Um, what do you move him. What do you expect out of him? I don't know. Um, yeah. I tell you, man, it's, <laughs> it's like one of those picks that lights the room on fire, but like, I really want to know what people think this guy's going to do in his first season at age 20. Yeah. Like, and just people, people are going to hope, right? Like you're going to dream. Like, why can't he do Corbin Carroll? Like people are going to be dreaming. Like, um, and just these young guys are, they're athletes and they're good and he's going to power speed and, that ballpark's nice. I just people are going to be hoping and dreaming. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. I'm still kind of formulating my opinion. But, <laughs> Andrew's worried, but he no, could be I a don't. Trap I will there. say, and don't give me. I like. I I kind of wonder the same. I I knew. Believe me, I knew when that news came out, he was getting picked. Mm. It was. I I could see it immediately. You know, I I literally got the alert. And I kind of opened the draft room and I'm like, okay, <laughs> who's about to get him? You know, like, cause I just knew it was going to happen. So, um, yeah, I'd be really curious to see how it unfolds for him. It's obviously exciting stuff. So, all right, we can move on to, uh, rounds 11 through 23. I kind of just wanted to group this because it's the rest of the starters and we can kind of just have an open discussion, but, um, talk a little bit just kind of about your strategy, filling out your starters, um, maybe pick out one or two that you drafted that you like specifically or targeted going into the draft, um, anything you want to highlight, any other picks that you liked on other teams, stuff of that nature. We'll start with uh, Justin. Well, going into round 12, I – Somehow it had only taken one starting pitcher, so I knew I had to attack starting pitchers in this range. And um, anyways, once again, I'm not in love with this team. Rotation. Bailey Ober's fine, but I'd rather him be a number three than a two. Giolito kind of makes me want to vomit, but um, hopefully he can rebound. <laughs> he was good in the first half right until he was traded, so the fingers crossed that he can go like... Right, right after I took him, I think Ricky Yee from our group said, oh, the Giants are going to sign that guy. That, And I was like, that just makes all the sense in the world for the Giants to sign him. And then I saw um, Eric Cross as um, tweet today. He was like, hopefully the Red Sox aren't going to just sign Lucas Giolito and say that's their pro- solution to the problem. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, please don't sign there. I just don't have – like, I don't want him going there. I want him going to the Giants. Anyways, um. We've talked a lot about Nolan Gorman. I love him, but again, I got Ozzy Albies already, but I've got a, like, Nolan Gorman's awesome. 
And I took a lot of outfielders in rounds 18 through like there in the back half because I wait like the way my draft fell, I just was not getting outfielders in the spot I wanted to. I forgot to say it, but Trapani in the sixth round took Steve Trapani took Christian Yelich on the way back. I really wanted him. That was a snipe when I ended up with Josh Lowe afterwards. But um, with my outfielders in rounds 18 to 20, all of them have some tools, the power, some speed. But the big question on them all is where the batting average could fit. Um, the most fluky category in offense in Roto. But when you're talking, taking a bunch of guys who strike out 26, 28, 30% of the time, it's usually a good sign you're not going to have a high average on your team. That's something I really didn't like about this draft. But I do have a lot of power and speed. And then I actually wanted to ask Chris about, you know, Andrew and I have talked a lot about Paul Skeens. Where did I take him here? I took him in rounds round 15. And we're both we're both really like him in terms of, you know, I think we're above the the rest of the field right now in terms of where we take him. Where are you at on Skeens? he's fine where he's going i think the strikeout rate will be high i just worry the team context is my concern i guess um taking him where he's where you took him um but i don't mind it at all because the strikeout rate can be pretty high there um you didn't pitch a lot last year after you know because he pitched a lot in the in college so it's kind of you know it's interesting that sense and the pirates are already talking about like tinkering with his fast i just I don't know. Something doesn't sit right with me with him right now. I want to see. I want to see. see I want to see spring training. It's one of those guys I want to see get in there and there and dominate major league hitters. Well, in fairness, in fairness, if you see him dominating in spring training, uh, he won't go at fifteen four. Everybody's yes. going to be awake. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's, that's fine. That's great. You know, yeah, you get him early. I yeah. guess. Yeah, like you guys are doing. You're getting him early because it's only going to go up. Let's put it. That I way. do. Um, I do agree about the the team context thing. I mean, it is, it is a little, it's not ideal, but. And they're tinkering. Uh, like the kid pitched well in college. Like, why are you guys like, I don't know. It's just something, I don't know. Something doesn't fit right. And then we can, you know, we can talk about self drafts. Now I'm thinking I got to pick out four. It's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I got to say, uh, Justin, I love the Matt Walner pick. Um, round 19. That was probably my favorite i mean i love gorman too but i don't know i think gorman's going in a fair spot but uh yeah walner i think he's one of those guys that could really break out with the power i mean he just absolutely mashed last season and it's just i feel like it's just under the radar just enough and he's being ignored just enough big guy lefty and he just crushed last year barrel rates hard hit rates all that it's all good so I definitely like him, need more shares, have a couple in Dynasty, and um, yeah, I definitely like that pick. Yeah, you clued, you're the one that kind of clued me in on him at the end of the year as you were talking about him, that he was just absolutely crushing. And yeah, I needed outfielders. And yeah. Again, I, I could have used a few more hit tool, less like less pop but good hit tools, but either, I just kept going that route because I felt like it was the best player there. Yeah, so we'll go over to uh, Chris. Same thing, like strategy, filling out your starters, maybe highlight a couple. 
you yeah. got me. Uh, you got me on uh, Morel. I was going to take Morel the round you took him. So definitely got yeah. me there. I thought I, um, I thought I did well in these rounds, eleven through twenty-three. I'm kind of looking. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of happy with these. Um, pitching, uh, pitching is interesting, uh, especially in dropping holds, especially not going early. I was really focusing on three things. Um, you have to be on a good team. Um, you have to be, or you have to be young, or you have to be kind of returning from injury or kind of get an injury concern with some. Uh, you know, you can get a little discount on those guys. So I end up with you, Darvish, Bryce Miller, Mackenzie Gore. Taj Browley and Luis Severino. And I like all those guys. I think they all can perform better than where they're going. Um, they all um, can strike out a lot of batters. And I thought that kind of filled out my pitching staff, only having Grayson and Joe Musgrove going earlier than that. So I kind of like those guys. All on good teams, um, except Washington. But I like Gore, and I think he has some upside there and a high, high K rate. Plus, he's young, and he got a lot of prospect pedigree. Um, when you mentioned about drafting early, um, one thing I was a little concerned about was uh, Noelle Marte. I took him around 13, Phil, third baseman. He's kind of like that group I mentioned, that last guy I like in my starter. And then he's playing a winter, a winter ball, and he got hurt. I'm like, uh-oh, we don't know the severity of the injury, right? The hamstring, he could tear it. There could be a long injury. So I got a little nervous there, and I circled uh, Junior Suarez and Matt Chapman. I'm like, I need one of those guys just in case of Marte is in- more injured than I think he is. And I missed out on both. But that's okay. It just it's just something I kind of think about um, during a draft. It's like, okay, we're how am I going to fill fill my middle and my corner? Since I went early with Freddie Freeman at first base, I want my corner position usually to be a third baseman then, because I don't want to rely on Freddie. To, you know, I kind of think about those kind of things there. So knowing Noel, they kind of got hurt there. I was like, okay, let me think about this and try to snag one of these last third basemen, because I think Eugenio Suarez and Matt Chapman. Are kind of last corner guys that I kind of like, and you kind of see a drop off there from Chapman all the way down to Brett Beatty, um, like five rounds later. Because I was a little nervous later, so I kind of grabbed a position flexibility guy with Luis and Ringifo, providing some floor. I like him this floor uh, format just because he he qualifies at pretty much everything middle corner and outfield. Um, I know you mentioned I asked you Andrew about um, you. We talk about these things like in football a lot better in best ball plays. Is as Ringifo better in draft and hold play and you mentioned you kind of like those guys too in um in redraft league so if you want to talk about that i think that's a good talk yeah yeah i was just saying i mean i do think that the super eligible guys like rangifo probably are better in draft and hold but one thing i i like about them in like even a regular redraft with a seven-man bench is it allows you to store more pitchers on your bench when you have a guy like that i mean you can you could run if you have Rangifo or somebody like that. You can have like two hitters on your bench and have five pitchers. And some people may say, well, "Why do you need that many?" Well, it's it gets to a point where there's so much bad pitching and pitchers getting blown up. If you can have quality arms that you can just rotate and play matchups, and helps a lot. It helped me a lot in my main. I had a lot of flexibility with um, position eligibility this year, and I had a lot of pitchers on my bench because of that. And it, it definitely helped. So that I thought of that when I thought of Rangifo because of his eligibility, I got to say, I, I love Rizzo in round 21. That's a guy that I'm in on for sure um, to bounce back. And I think with Taj Bradley, uh, I, th- I think he could be a steal too, because I think what's going to happen is 
is people are going to focus on roster resource and the fact that he's not in the rotation. And I look at that rotation and I just sit there and think, God, he could be their number three starter, probably number four. And he's not listed in the five, you know, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think the fact that he's not listed there is going to keep his cost down, at least until he is listed there. I mean, they're not just going to not use Tosh Bradley. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on, you know, for one, it's the Rays. They're going to use a ton of guys anyways. And I think you do get this these discounted prices on guys that just aren't listed on there when really, I mean, let's be real. Like as much as we all look at roster resource and do kind of go off of that for things, there's also plenty of things that aren't going to be exactly the way that they're listed on there now, you know? So I think he's another guy that could slip through the cracks and be pretty good value. Yeah, for sure. And I remember, I know we, you and I both like Rob Silver, and I know he mentions how many pitchers he runs to a main event. And let's put it this way, it's not in single digits. So pitchers yeah. are a hot commodity, and he runs out. He has a lot on his bench. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, any, any other picks that stood out to you guys in these rounds or anybody that you wanted to, to highlight? Any other teams or any, you know, anything? Um, I'll bring up that Luis Arias you took in the 14th round. That's a, that's the kind of guy as I'm thinking about. I'm uh, say, I'll I sh- trade, I'll trade you. <laughs> I, sh- I know he's not your guy either, but I, I sh- he would have fit a lot more on my roster. I should have been looking for more guys like that. I had a lot of power. I had a lot. Of, I had my share of speed. I should have been taking some guys like that. You took Arias at a pretty good value. So I'll, I'll give you credit for that one. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I kind of like held my nose when I took it, but I just I felt like it was good value, even though he's definitely not anywhere near my favorite player. Mm-hmm. So. And this is where we're going to cut off the episode. We're going to come back in a couple days. I'm going to splice this into two episodes. So just come back in a couple days and we will have episode 161 where Andrew, Chris and I talk about the reserve rounds and we talk about what we did and did not like about our teams. So thank you for listening, and until next time, take care, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 